Good morning. It's uh, Monday, February 6th, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer uh, here at Gannon Fitzgerald Investment Advisors. This is my weekly podcast, Slaying Bulls and Bears. We attempt to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. The presentation you are seeing and or hearing is prepared by us for use with you whether you are an investor or a financial advisor. Either way, you're expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. Everything is purely for informational purposes only. Its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Well, we continue to have uh, a bull market, and I think we can almost officially call it that. We're close anyway, uh, since the bottom. Uh, late in 2022, we had uh, stocks up another 1.6% last week for, for large cap, but mid and small cap stocks really just tore it up, up 34 and 5% respectively. Mostly, I would say, on the backs of some changes to the Fed statement language after the 25 basis point increase, which really led the market to believe that they are really close to being done. Uh, the number of dovish comments in the commentary went up and the number of hawkish comments went down. That sent markets significantly higher. The only exception last week was emerging markets down about 1%. But bonds also caught a bid across the board. High yield, look at high yield bonds. If we're moving into a recession, one of the things, one of the asset classes hit the hardest would be expected to be high yield. And it was very weak last year but up 1% on the week. That's not just an interest rate related move. That's highly correlated up here with mid and small cap stocks. There's an old expression in our industry that high yield is simply mid cap with a coupon. And look at that up 5% on a year to date basis. So we're happy about that. Let's get into some of the economic data from last week. Fourth quarter employment cost index was up 1.1%. Uh, after 1.2% gain in Q3 and up 5% from a year ago. Year ago is the red, it is the right-hand scale. It is not rolling over. This is something the Fed looks at to see if it's meeting its inflation mandate. But you'll notice smaller uh, quarterly increases, which is the left-hand scale, and that's coming down. And then the comparisons will ultimately get easier so it's pretty much that the blue will lead the red lower incoming quarters so that nobody's too particularly concerned about it. Moving into housing data, we got a fair amount last week, both FHFA and S&P Case-Shiller. FHFA house prices for November down a tenth of a percent. They were expected to be down a half a percent. So that was less of a decline than expected. Still, home prices are 8% higher than they were a year ago, 8% higher than they were a year ago. But if you go back, the year-over-year -year gain was approaching 20%. So housing is certainly cooling off uh, pretty significantly. Case-Shiller home prices show a really similar story, but here the index did fall half a percent, not quite as much as expected, which was 0.65%. They are not up 8% over year-over-year, but about six and three quarters percent year-over-year and you can see that falling as well. Remember the red here is the right-hand scale, so they're still up, that's positive, zero is down here, 
but the blue is the left-hand scale that's over here on the left where the zero line is much, much higher. Okay, moving along here, consumer confidence. The conference board's reading on consumer confidence fell from 109 to 1.107, a little bit below expectations. Present situation, however, rose a little bit, but expectations fell. So confidence is, I would say, stagnating and staying steady. We're not ebullient by any means, which can be inflationary. And we're not overly depressed like we were back, you know, back during the pandemic. And then even through here, where inflation numbers were really getting to us and you know, gasoline prices in particular were really getting, uh, getting consumers in a more negative mood. Move into uh, manufacturing reports. We got both the S&P Global and the ISM reports, both below 50. Remember, below 50 is contraction. You get more than you get start getting in more than three or four months, five months, six months of contraction. You start looking at the um, you start looking at the face of a recession. And it was up a little bit, but that's still contraction. 46.9. A little bit better, you know, right in line, I guess, with expectations of 46.8. From ISM, the competing number, which look at that steady, steady decline here, really for a long period of time, uh, came in at 47.4, fourth consecutive month below 50. As I said, you start getting, you start getting into 5.6, you're, you're looking at recession, something the Fed is well aware of. Fed is looking at and is being cautious, but this is the risk they run with the rate hikes and the balance sheet runoff. In the, in the effort to combat inflation, you have to slow down economic activity. You want to slow down economic activity, but you don't want to dip into a recession and cause job losses. And we certainly haven't had job losses. Employment still above 50, not significantly, but still above 50. S&P Global's reading on services now uh, 44, uh, excuse me, rose from 44.7 to 46.8, but that too below 50, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven months below 50 for S&P Global Services, uh, that is also causing concern, right? We're slowing down. Interestingly, though, in the jobs report we got on Friday, services was one of the biggest areas for employment gains. ISM services, though, told a totally different story. It only had one down month, which was December, and then shot right back up to a pretty solid reading of 55.2 um, 55 in January. Look at new orders and services. New orders and services above 55 is a sign of more expansion. So new orders at 60 plus the gains we saw in the employment. This is, this is hard to imagine a recession can take place when you have numbers like this. And the Fed sees this and the Fed knows this. They're seeing manufacturing slow down. They're seeing the S&P services numbers slow down. They're looking at everything all together. Uh, but this here is, is sort of an expansionary uh, reading, and it's really kind of inflationary as opposed to disinflationary, not deflationary. The Fed is really focused on disinflation at this point. Moving on to construction spending fell four-tenths of a percent. Uh, private residential construction, construction fell three-tenths of a percent. So construction, home building, 
all certainly negatively impacted in a very big way from uh, the interest rate hikes. Auto sales rose uh, from a from a 13.3 million annualized pace. It was a huge jump to 15.7, and it was better than expected. And really, it's the the highest reading um, since early 2021. So in about two years. So auto sales are moving. They're selling. Uh, they were not really hurt by demand back here. They were hurt by demand here with the COVID shutdown, but not here. This was the supply chain issues. And as I get to the Fed's statement from last week, you'll see that they have now pulled language about supply chain issues causing inflationary pressures. And that was, that was a, a nice surprise to see uh, in their statement. Jobs remain strong. It's really hard to imagine. And, and uh, former Fed chair and current Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said this last week. She was, you know, you really don't have recessions without big jobs losses. And we still have job openings uh, very high. In fact, they rose to 11 million, that was 700,000 above expectations. That's on top of the whatever we added in the month of December. It might have been 180,000 if you like the ADP report. And it wasn't 500 plus thousand as, uh, as appeared in the BLS report. And I'll talk about that in a second. Regardless, the labor market is very strong. Leisure, hospitality uh, also has still a lot, a lot of openings. Weekly claims for unemployment, which is the best real-time indicator of what's happening in the labor market. Initial claims fell again, stayed below 200,000 again at 183,000 and continuing claims right in there about 1.66 million. That's a pretty low number. So even if we go into a manufacturing turndown, which we seem to have, or a service sector turndown, whatever, um, if people are still working, they're going to still be consuming. And if they're still consuming, that is the U.S. economy. Uh, so it's hard now uh, to imagine the Fed continuing to tip, especially given the statement uh, statements that were made um, last week. So the two jobs reports, let's start with ADP. Uh, private payrolls, they say, grew only 106,000, not the 180. Uh, they, they cited uh, rough weather during their reference week. Okay, fine. Service jobs up 109. Goods producing jobs fell. Uh, construction jobs fell, but they think that was weather related. Uh, solid gain uh, and a slowdown in the rate of gain, which is something the Fed would like to see. But then just a couple of days later, you get the BLS report on non-farm payrolls. And they say that things went up 517,000. The estimate was 188. January for BLS non-farm payrolls is always a very difficult one. It's difficult because this is when you do your seasonal adjustments. There's a lot of seasonal adjustments to numerators, and denominators, and all kinds of different things. What we can see that's consistent with ADP is that leisure and hospitality led the gains. And that we do know the unemployment rate fell to a 53-year low of 3.4%. So whether it's 517 or really maybe in the 200s, like the ADP report, which is more likely, we also saw a, re a revision um, to the December number at 37,000. So that was solid. Uh, add that to the JOLTS report and the extremely low claims for unemployment. And again, you got a very strong jobs, jobs market. It's just not going away anytime soon. 
taking looking through the BLS report, we can see that productivity rose. Productivity, of course, had been on the decline because as, as wages were rising too rapidly, productivity was on the decline. Um, and it even fell in all of 2022, 1.3%. So you get all this technological innovation, all these great things happening, uh, and productivity goes down. It's just that not because people are less productive, they're actually more productive, but on a dollar basis, what it costs to get the people there. In the end, higher real wages for workers is a good thing for the US economy in the long run, shouldn't be discounted, but we just happen to be in this period where the Fed is very laser focused on fighting inflation. And you can see average hourly earnings continuing to, to rise. The rate of increase, which had really spiked here, that was kind of ridiculous, fell with the COVID shutdowns and then ramping back up, that's inflationary. The, the, the average hourly earnings now rising, you know, only 4.4% year over year. That's getting to the point where it's not causing inflation. You know, Fed's, Fed's inflation target is two. Wages are a big component. Getting that to continue to drop down will allow the Fed to meet its objective of getting inflation back down to 2%. We're halfway through earnings season, 175 names have beat out of the 250 that reported, but those earnings surprises are not huge. They're up about one and a half percent. Consumer discretionary, really strong. Hard to imagine recession when consumer discretionary is so strong. Uh, you know, energy, only two and a half percent. That's good because that's been a big, big, big part of the, a big component to the inflationary pressure. Industrials missing a little bit. Uh, you can see there, uh, but overall, uh, mostly I'd say in line to slightly ahead. So really the biggest news of the week and the biggest driver of the market, halfway through the Fed's comments, uh, the market interpreted how the chairman was speaking and turned higher. And I say the market, I'm talking the stock market, the Federal Open Market Committee raised interest rates, the target Fed funds rate from, you know, 25 basis points lower to, to a range of four and a half to four and three quarters, upper end being four and three quarters, and continues to run off its balance sheet. Don't talk so much about the balance sheet runoff, but that is very important and critical component to reducing the inflationary pressure in the economy. In the language of the Fed prepared statement, they say inflation has eased somewhat. Prior to that, it said supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher food and energy prices, broader price pressures. So that language was all removed about the supply chain causing inflation to say that, that inflation has eased. So they acknowledge that inflation is coming down. They also previously had language that the Russia-Ukraine war was contributing to inflation and replaced that with there's an elevated level of global uncertainty around Russia-Ukraine, but it's no longer impacting inflation. They had language that about determining the pace of future increases, which implied there was going to be many future increases. That's removed and now says we're determining the extent of future increases. In other words, the extent could be that there's none. And the market is really believing there's one more hike of 25 basis points next month in March, and that's it. Now the Fed is saying they're not going to be raising interest rate or cutting interest rates anytime soon. The market believes differently. Markets see a lot of the slowdown stuff, and the Fed funds futures market believes the Fed will actually start cutting interest rates later this year, 
in response to ultimately things like job losses, slowdowns in manufacturing. So far, not seeing that happen. They also go through and they parse the comments during the speech, and whether it's to prepare or the Q&A, and they, they score this. How many dovish comments did, did he make? Many more than in the prior meeting. How many hawkish? Many less than in the prior meeting. Overall, the market said the statement is far more balanced than it has been in about a year. And that's why the market took off running. And the market, as I said, does not believe they're going to cut. Don't forget that balance sheet has been reduced. So when the Fed's printing, when the Fed's buying bonds and literally just printing money out of, third, out of thin air, we're all very critical. Critical because it can cause inflation and it devalues our money. Well, they have shredded, literally shredded, well, electronically shredded, $528 billion out of the money supply in the last 11 months. That is no doubt disinflationary. That is negative money supply growth, something we haven't seen in a very, very long time. All of this combines to send the markets higher. This is the blue line is your S&P 500 index something called the golden cross, the market starts going up. It crosses the 50-day moving average, which is the rust-colored line. And the 50-day moving average crosses the 200-day, which is the gray. That is a golden cross. If you want to wait for confirmation, then you want to see the 200-day moving average turn higher. So you'd have blue going up, orange going up, and gray going up. Clearly, the gray is still in a downtrend. But a lot of traders would see this. This would be a technical indicator, and that would cause some buying for CTAs and other technical uh, type of, um, of, of uh, stock traders. Okay, not a ton of economic data this week. Monday's very quiet. Trade deficit and consumer credit on Tuesday. Wholesale inventories Wednesday. Regular claims for unemployment looking to be below 300 or 200 again and then consumer sentiment on Friday. Thanks everybody. Don't forget to listen on the podcast. Give us a like, thumbs up, and a retweet. We appreciate all of that. Thank you, and we'll be back again in one week.